Today's topic is expectations and hope, hope and expectations, and the difference between them. Hope springs eternal, like the green blade that riseth in the human breast. It grows deep within. It has a life of its own and a life cycle. It springs to life like a green shoot. It withers, it dies back, but it does not die. Hope can be dashed by circumstances, by what is going on around us. But that it persists in coming back to life is a mystery to us. Hope is grounded in the future, and hope is granted from the future to us who dwell in the present and sometimes in the past. Expectations are somewhat different. We all have expectations, high expectations, low expectations, no expectations. But they come from without, not from within. They are imposed and presupposed from around us. What are expectations? The dictionary says an expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. B, a belief that someone will or should achieve something. That's how we know it, trust me. And B, an archaic meaning, one's prospects of inheritance. Well, not quite so archaic. Although directed to the future, expectations are grounded in the past, and they are also grounded in external reality in other people. Our hopes and also our fears, the things that well up within us, we often keep to ourselves. We might learn early to keep our hopes a secret for our whole lifetime. Expectations are thrust upon us from without. They are the rent we pay for living on earth with other people. They are somebody else's wonderful plan for your life, or more likely for theirs. How often do I hear people say, if you expect nothing of others, you will get nothing. The implied message is that people are all performers. Basically, they earn what they get, and they will perform, will function as they are asked or not. If not, there is a problem. But don't expect anything from people if you don't ask for it, indeed demand it. The way to get a lot is to demand a lot, and implicitly, people seem to like that and to respond to that. I've always been suspicious on this count, but over the years, my experience has tended to turn the suspicion to something rather stronger. People with high expectations of others may get what they ask for by hook or by crook, but they will never see anything more. And they will never know how deeply they might have tapped into the hopes that possess others or experience the joyful discovery of the stream of creativity and commitment that gushes forth from within when those hopes have been accessed from without. When somebody cares enough to find out what people are hoping for. Luther said always, look and see that for which the creature is waiting. He called it tense waiting. What the creature hopes for is what motivates them through life and will get them through anything, especially 
expectations. People are driven by expectations from outside, even especially well-internalized ones, for expectations also move within to pour their concrete right over the nurturing earth where the green shoots of hope are rising. We are driven by expectations placed there by circumstances and dragged within. But we are drawn by hope. People who are driven by and striving to live up to the expectations of others take care. But those who are drawn by hope take risks. People who are driven are driven by fear, ultimately, Fear of disappointing or offending or antagonizing those others who have somehow got a foothold within. And they proceed through life fearfully or recklessly, but always expecting the worst paradoxically. They wish, I will not say hope, for the best, and they expect the worst. And all the while, real hope somehow languishes within or springs forth again and again, struggling for light and breath like green blades that somehow slice through concrete sidewalks. For if expectations require others, other people, parents, friends, family, colleagues, pastors, we major in it, Fellow citizens, all expectations have their source in somebody else. It is so often the fact that the hopes that seem most peculiarly our own are in reality the hopes that God himself has set there to begin with. And God deals in the hope not that something might, but that something must be the case. Something must come from the hope he has planted within us. Something must be realized if life is to have any meaning at all. And that you and I, regardless of what expectations the world has dumped or thrust upon us, are the ones to do it. Our vocation is to find the hope that God has put in our heart and hope against hope to work to bring that into reality. And it's the hardest thing to do. If we hope for something, we don't usually hope that we are the ones to do it. We just hope that it will be done. But it's so important to us that we may never get to it. Because we know if we try it and it fails, we will have lost the very core of our being in the transaction. If, like the expectations of others, then these deep-seated hopes, these aspirations often overwhelm us. They draw their energy not from the discouragement that goads us into the meeting the demands of others, but from the courage that springs forth as we set out to realize the hope that God has set within, come what may, come what will. God is wonderfully impatient too. He never lets us get away from that hope. We have no rest as long as that hope is there somewhere to be found. Your faith and hope are in God, says Peter, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And with our rebirth comes hope, imperishable, and the faith to see it. As Cleopas and his companion make their way down the path to a mouse, they trudge along as those from whom all hope has drained away. The sureness of their steps is gone, 
and there is a numbness in their souls. It is evening of the day after the day of the empty tomb, one week and a day after Jesus entered Jerusalem in glory. The anointed one came to play his part, the Messiah to fulfill the expectations of all of Judea or all that was left of Israel and Judah had laid on him. His job was twofold, to drive Caesar out and to bring Yahweh in to a temple that had been cleansed and purified and restored there to take his place upon the throne and rule once again. In Judea, yes, and maybe from Judea to the whole known world. And the Judeans still knew within what Yahweh expected of them, and that they had fallen short, so short of it, and that holiness, zeal for the law, and a readiness to revolt were what was needed, bared down with the law. And now, if Yahweh's expectation could become their hope once again, if ever it once was. Oh yes, and a Messiah, which means one anointed to do a task, prophet, priest, or king, who would stir them up to that heroism that was needed now, heroic action, deeds of valor baptized by the blood of the sword. Did they know if they'd win or lose like everyone else who had ever tried it? They didn't care at this point. They had nothing to lose. They lived in great fear, and they also lived paradoxically recklessly. This is all lost now, of course, Jesus has succeeded at neither of these things. He's failed to engage the Romans in a military decisive battle leading to victory. He's failed to do anything with the temple except stir up those motions within the community that 40 years from now will lead to its total and absolute destruction. Jesus, in other words, has disappointed their expectations once again. All is lost. As the stranger draws up to them on the pathway back, he draws from them their story. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one. He was the one, and he wasn't. So we'll put our hopes back harden our hearts against them, and wait for the next one. We had hoped that he was the one, had hoped. We are back in the past, going back to the place where they went off course in their journey. Journey, Jesus hears them out, but he has heard enough. He doesn't say to them, just hang in there, have hope. He says to them, oh foolish ones, foolish ones, I wish I could match his compassion. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus then takes them to the texts, the word of God, not proof texts, a verse at a time, but a grand overarching narrative, a story, one story of the people of God who cry out again and again in their suffering, in exodus, in exile, in captivity at home, and find that God is there. More than that, their God is there for them. I don't think this performance was a matter of proof texts cherry-picked from here and there, but a matter of 
taking up all of Scripture and setting it down ever so slightly askew, turning it seven and a half degrees from its axis, keeping everything within it in relationship and throwing the whole thing into an entirely new light. We live in the hope that Jesus will do that for us too. And that scripture will turn us ever so slightly askew and allow us to wriggle God's hopes free from the cultural expectations that we seem bound and determined in the church to impose upon scripture and on our own Christian life. We live in hope. One thing we know As the rubble of ruined expectations is cleared away, hope once again is setting the hearts of these disciples on fire. And the liturgy of the word over, they recognize Jesus in the liturgy of the sacrament, in the bread taken, blessed, broken, and shared, the fourfold actions that we rehearse every Sunday when we gather. They are renewed. So let's be realists for a moment, and then I'm done. Our life, the side of glory, is to manage both expectation and hope. There's no escape from expectation. One thing we can do is not let expectation, what we do, define who we are. God sees us for who we are. We're not the sum total of what we do, especially when what we do is all a way of earning the goodies that culture has for us prestige, possessions, and power. We are what we are, and God sees what we are, and what we are is that for which we hope. So our life is to manage our expectations, do all for the glory of God, if you're worried about that, but keep our expectations from getting in each other's way. And find a way to treasure our hope, lift it out, and keep it always nearby. It means to take care that our zeal for constructing our notion of heaven on earth does not needlessly stifle the real hope that comes from God that is always within, growing, flourishing, and begging us to see it and to hear it. We have the hope of glory, Christ in us. That's all we want. That's all we need. And that is enough, enough for us and enough for the world. For those who hope in Christ will not be disappointed. Amen.